Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, thank you, Connie, for that this morning. If you have your Bibles today, we're headed toward Matthew chapter 4 and the first book of the New Testament. Uh, junior high camp was this past week and, and senior high camp this coming week. And I, I really believe that youth camp is one of the most important opportunities for families to take advantage of in helping their teens to reach spiritual maturity. And it's a time when uh, real, really the kids can get away from their normal lives for five days and get away from their phones, which is really a big deal these days, and uh, maybe their jobs and their regular habits and influences, and, and just spend some time around the Word of God and around the things of God and sing spiritual songs and really uh, have God in their thoughts and be around some, some friends who want to do right. And you might say that they go out in the wilderness. And uh, I thought it would be appropriate today to look at some special people from God's Word who spent some time in the wilderness themselves. And we're going to try to answer this question, what does God have for me in the wilderness? And uh, it's not just for young people. It could be that you're going through a wilderness in your life right now, and this message might be for you. So Matthew chapter 4 and we'll read the first 11 verses. And as you get there, if you're physically able, would you please stand for a reading this morning? Matthew chapter 4 at verse number 1. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into, a holy, into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone." Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came, and ministered to him. And let's pray. Father, would you bless this morning as we deal with this topic of what God would have for us in the wilderness. And I pray that it would be a time of refreshment and renewal in our hearts. And certainly if there are those today in this place without Jesus as Savior, I pray that they would understand your love for them and their need for salvation. Guide us now through this message. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some people really enjoy being out in the wilderness. And uh, I think that um, a lot of people, especially in Idaho, love the wilderness. In fact, we have so many wilderness areas in our state. And uh, somebody told me one time, I don't know if it's true or not, that we have more wilderness area and more whitewater than any state except for Alaska or something like that. Uh, some people are shaking their heads yes, so maybe that's true. Uh, but we are kind of wilderness people. In fact, uh, Jim, Hayne, and Ben 
are going up. Uh, I think they're leaving tomorrow, headed up toward Riggins, and they're uh, doing a whitewater rafting trip on the Salmon River. And yeah, so pray for Ben and Jim that they stay in the raft. But they go through uh, some of the river of no return wilderness probably. And, uh, you know, wilderness can, can be a very interesting place. Other people, wilderness for them is not having Wi-Fi. Okay? I mean, wilderness for them is they don't have LTE signal and they're in 3G and they feel like they're in the wilderness. Yeah, my wife and I moved into a different house uh, about a week and a half ago, a week ago Friday, and, and we don't have Wi-Fi yet, and at night we only have one X. Right, it feels like you're out in the wilderness. It feels like you're out in the campground somewhere. You only have one X in your own house. Yeah, I'm not sure where you land on the whole you like the wilderness or don't like it. That's a physical wilderness. But you know, there's also a, a spiritual wilderness, and maybe you've experienced some time in your life in the spiritual wilderness. Maybe you've landed in a place where you thought you'd never been, and you wonder, what am I supposed to do here until God moves me forward? Maybe you've wondered why you're even there. And this morning, I, I want us to see together from God's Word that the Lord always has some way that He wants to develop us during the wilderness and during the desert seasons of our lives. And so we begin with Joseph in the wilderness. And the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us this morning. As we talk about Joseph in the wilderness, I want you to see that he was free to follow God's sovereign plan for his life. Free to follow God's sovereign plan for his life. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 37 where we meet, for the first time in Scripture, one of the most unique characters in God's Word, this young man, Joseph. And uh, ironically, this young man was a teenager. We find out early in the chapter that Joseph was 17 years old. And it's about the age of some of the people who would be going to youth camp. We begin to understand more about his story. Look at verse number 17, right in the middle of the verse. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. So it's a, we see a dynamic here right off the bat. Uh, his brothers wanted to kill him. They said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness. So there it is. And lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. It came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, the company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. 
and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. And yeah, this is probably one of the most famous Bible stories that there is in Scripture. And, and I think every kid who's ever been to Sunday school or VBS or uh, been around the Word of God at all has heard about Joseph and the coat of many colors and this dynamic, this relationship with his brothers. And when Joseph was dropped into the wilderness, he could easily have grown bitter toward God for allowing this problem into his life. And he could, have, he could have seen it as an obstacle that he was not able to overcome. And there were going to be many other obstacles in Joseph's life and days ahead that would be a wilderness to him too. Joseph had, uh, if you read this chapter, he had been given big dreams about his future. And he had these dreams that all of his brothers were going to bow down to him. And, and he had a dream that even his father and his mother were going to bow down to him. And a goodness gracious, his dad even said, Joseph, you're getting a little bit too big for your britches with your dreams there. Hold off just a little bit. And his brothers, they were so upset about this, this kid brother that they had having these dreams that they wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. And it, it kind of shows human nature, doesn't it? If, if somebody around us has got big dreams or if they're going to do really well, sometimes that just upsets us. It's just crazy. It doesn't have anything to do with us, but it upsets us. Like, why does he get to have success or why does she get to have success? And so Joseph has these high hopes that God's going to use him in a remarkable way. And now he is thrown into a pit by his own brothers and sold to a roving band of Ishmaelites. And so Joseph easily could have abandoned his faith. But you know, he realized that he had a choice. He had a choice of how he would respond. And he chose to respond by following God straight through the circumstances. And a lot of people say, you know what? When God gets me out of the wilderness, then I'll serve him again. But Joseph chose just to make the right decisions as he went through the wilderness. And he was going to be in the wilderness for quite a long time. The spiritual wilderness, the life wilderness, if you will. There was, uh, during the days of Nazi Germany, there was a, a man named Viktor Frankl. And Frankl went on to become a, a noted psychologist. But Frankl, as he was there, uh, placed in a concentration camp, and uh, every day taken out for hard labor and given just a, a small bowl of rotten porridge to eat, and uh, watching his friends and people in the camp drop dead every day, and uh, people just give up on life and, and not be able to move. And Frankel himself had gone below 100 pounds and, and was just shriveled up and not doing well. But, you know, every morning he woke up, and he got up, and he dusted off his prison clothes and uh, did his best to get the wrinkles out. And he took the remnants of the only comb that he could find, and he combed what hair he had left. And uh, he walked out the door of the prison camp and greeted the Nazi guard and said, Good morning, sir. And uh, one day, the guard stopped him and he said, You there. You're the only one who ever says good morning to me. Don't you know where you are? 
Don't you know what's happening around you? And here's what Frankel said. He said, even in the worst of circumstances, I determine that only I had the freedom to choose how I would respond. And so he told the guard, I choose to respond with optimism, and I choose to respond with friendliness and, and all these things. And it's, if you ever look him up or read any of his books, it's, it's so interesting, the thought process he had. And uh, I would submit to you that a lot of people who go through wilderness circumstances feel like they have lost all of their choices. And they just feel like there's this fatalistic idea that, boy, circumstances have just come my way and I'm in the wilderness, and so I just got to give up or give in. Joseph, here's what he thought. I still have the freedom to choose to follow God's plan. Even though it looks really bad, I still have the freedom to do what's right and the freedom for God to intervene and show what only God can do. And if you know the end of the story of Joseph, Joseph becomes second only to the, the Pharaoh in Egypt. He essentially becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And God takes him through this, and God has a master plan, and God has a big picture. And you know, this big picture mentality is something that's so important for young people to learn. And Joseph, free to follow God's plan here. And it doesn't allow adversity to knock him off course. And this is one of the things that the wilderness can teach you. This is one of the things I believe that youth camp helps us to understand. And I remember when I was a kid in youth camp, and you sit there and you're 14, 15, 16, whatever, 17 years old, and you begin to understand, maybe for the first time, there's something bigger than what I thought. There's something bigger about this life than what my plans are and what my dreams are. It could be that God has a purpose for me. And it could be that God's plan is much bigger than what I could ever dream of. You know, when young people begin to dream dreams like that, even when they go through the wilderness, they say, I've got the freedom to still follow God's plan. I've still got the freedom to follow the sovereign God and to see what he has for my life. Now, if you fast forward 200 years, and let's see Moses in the wilderness. Moses had a very interesting time in the wilderness. And I think the thing we could learn from him is finding identity in God, not myself. If you go to Exodus chapter 3, and that's a little bit to your right in the scriptures there. Exodus chapter 3 and if you know much about the story of Moses, Moses grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh. And uh, now his life has completely been knocked off course, according to him and according to his plans. And he is not just in the wilderness, he's on the backside of the wilderness. Right? He's in, in the most wilderness of the wilderness that you can get. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire. And the bush was not consumed. 
And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So here you have Moses pulled out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter when he's just an infant, grows up in the house of Pharaoh, and, uh, and then uh, he had the episode where he went out and he saw these guys fighting an Egyptian and a, a Jew, and uh, they were really going at it, and he felt like the Egyptian was getting the better of, of the Jew, and so he killed the Egyptian, and it hit him in the sand. And then the next day he sees these Jews fighting, or he goes out again and sees these Jews fighting, and they said, you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid, and he ran for his life, and he goes to Midian. And now he has been on the backside of the desert for 40 years. And you thought the wilderness in your life was long. Moses went from 40 years on the backside of the desert... And came back to Egypt, and then, where'd he go? Forty more years leading a group of people who were disgruntled into the wilderness. Right? So Moses had a whole bunch of wilderness in his life. And all of it part of God's plan for him. And, and so here he is now on the backside of the desert. And he is there, and he's been there this whole time during uh, God working through him to find out who God really is, or who God really was. And, uh, you know, it's only after he could find out who God was that he could find out who he was. And if you look at this again, he says in verse number four, you know, the Lord calls to him, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. And Moses walks up to that bush with this apparent uh, identity. This is who I think I am, right? And this is kind of how we come to God sometimes. This is who I think I am. And, uh, and then if you go down further in the passage, God calls him and says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, verse number 10, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now look at verse 11. Moses said unto God, who am I? that I should go into Pharaoh. So Moses goes from, this is who I think I am, and now he says, I'm not who I thought I was. He's having what we might call an identity crisis. Right? This is who I think I am, and then God calls him to this big picture idea, and he says, I'm not sure, God, that I'm the right guy. And he gives all these different excuses. And it was only after God says, I am that I am. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm the God of creation. I'm the forever, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It was only then that Moses could understand what God wanted for his life. And we live in a world today in 2016 where identity is made to be everything. 
Young people are influenced to live their entire lives based on some type of branding, some type of symbol, uh, whether it's what type of sneakers you wear. And by the way, uh, in cities like Chicago, if you wear the wrong kind of sneakers, you may, you may get killed. Like, I'm not joking about it. There are 17 to 19 people every weekend in Chicago who get killed during gang warfare because of uh, this identity. Which gang are you? Which neighborhood are you? What sneakers do you wear? What jeans do you wear? What's the brand of your cell phone? Do you have the right car to be accepted in the little group at your school? Is your Facebook page got enough likes? Or Instagram or your Snapchat posts or all these different things that there's an identity crisis about today. And uh, people have now uh, this online bullying because they go after people who don't meet up to their symbol and don't meet up to what they think the identity should be. And boy, we have this going on throughout our entire nation and really the entire world. And some in our nation, as we've even viewed this week, want to divide people based on race and religion and political party. And they don't even realize that people, the, the leadership or the people who are elected sometimes are doing this so they can maintain control over the masses. And we had this, this tragedy in Dallas this week where 12 police officers are are shot in the streets, and five of them die. By the way, I would submit to you that black lives do matter, and so do brown lives, and red lives, and yellow lives, and white lives, and unborn lives. All lives matter to God. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. And we live in a world, I'm telling you, where people want to put you in groups, and they want to attach a brand to you. And if you don't fit their brand, you're out or you're dead. And we think America's bad. There are places in Africa where if you were born in the wrong tribe, they will come into a village and kill you. Just annihilate you. And entire uh, tribes of people have faced genocide in Africa within the last 20 years because of what tribe they were born in. You know, identity is such a big thing. And it's such a big topic. And uh, here we see a man, Moses, who was trying to find his identity. And uh, young people more than ever are trying to find their identities in things and groups and theories and searching for some identity that's going to satisfy. Moses... Now check this out, young people. Moses at the burning bush was 80 years old. And he was still going through an identity crisis. Right? And people face this, the midlife crisis, right? Like I'm, I'm turning 44 this week. And some people who turn 44, they all of a sudden grow their hair long and go buy a pink Cadillac. Right? You never know what's going to happen, Right? Or they go buy a Harley and drive off to Alaska or decide they're going to drive through Central America or something. But everybody goes through these, 
these identity crises. And, and that's people who get in their 60s and they retire at their job and then they don't know who they are. And uh, some people, uh, they've been married for all these years and their kids grew up and moved out of the house and they say, we don't really know what our marriage is anymore. And they've been married for 35 years and they've invested that much time in their relationship and they call it quits. And it's all about identity. It's all about finding who I am, not in me, not in some group, not in some symbol, but in Christ. And uh, the Bible says it so plainly and so clearly, and I love how it phrases it, not I, but Christ who lives in me. And our identity is grounded not on us and not our talents, not our abilities, not on these issues that Moses struggled with, And the wilderness helps us to find our identity in Christ, not in anything this world has to offer. Young people spend a lot of time at youth camp dealing with this very subject. And it's incredibly important to find your identity and find your satisfaction in Christ alone. Now I want to move forward another 600 years to find Elijah in the wilderness. And you may know the story of Elijah. And as we see him in the wilderness... We're going to talk about this topic, feeding for the journey ahead. Elijah was, uh, it would have been labeled in his day as, as kind of a crazy guy, right? Uh, he, he wore some, some stunning attire, and he didn't smell very good, and he ate locusts a lot. And, uh, and then God sent him down to the Brook Kidron for a while, and the ravens came and dropped roadkill for him, right? And he, that's what he ate for three and a half years. And I don't know if you've ever taken to eating roadkill, if it's ever come that bad for you, or you're like, you know what, we've got to eat an armadillo because we just don't have any food. We don't have armadillos here. But down south, have you ever seen the turned over armadillos? They got hit by the car. How many of you don't even know what an armadillo is? Okay, we, see, we got one back. We can Google that, though, now in our modern day. Just Google images armadillo, and you've got this. So here's Elijah, and he has just confronted the most wicked king that Israel ever had, Ahab, who our life group studied this morning. And then he faced down 850 false prophets on the top of a place called Mount Carmel. And now Elijah is running for his life, and he's running from the wicked queen Jezebel. And I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we won't read the whole story, but there's a portion here that I think is so important about the wilderness. 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Look what happens. 
And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Now look at this last phrase. That's why he went to the wilderness. Because the journey is too great for thee. The journey is too great for thee. Elijah, who had once been fed by ravens, is now being fed by angels. And he's in the wilderness, and God is bringing to Elijah renewal, feeding for the journey ahead. And here's a guy, he had been serving God with every ounce of his being, with everything he had in him. But to make it through the journey ahead, he was going to need some extra nourishment directly from heaven. He needed some food in the wilderness to help him move forward. You know, wilderness food has a a distinct variety, and it depends on who you're with, right? If if you're with an army person, it might be an MRE with a spoon, right? An MRE with a spoon. Uh, It could be that you're with guys who like to catch squirrels and roast them over a fire. Yeah, it's tasty, right? Uh, Or if you're at camp, you get camp food. And a camp food, I'm telling you what, it's, it's good stuff. Now, back when I was a kid, camp food was kind of iffy, right? You just weren't quite sure about it. And they always had the same red Kool-Aid every year. And uh, they always had the same variety of food. But camp food now, it's like gourmet. And they give you all sorts of stuff. And, and uh, they do the diets at Quaker Hill. I think they said that the diet that they do is for kids to eat 3,500 calories a day so that they can keep themselves going through that hard work of camp. Now, by the way, camp is really hard work, not on the kids, on the staff. I mean, they get very little sleep. And uh, Mrs. Cornwall, bless her heart, she took the, uh, the junior high kids to camp last week and survived, came home, got home Saturday afternoon, washed all of her clothes, and I heard a rumor that her husband cleaned the house and won Husband of the Year Award, and now headed back up with the high school teens. Yeah, so if you see her today, give her an energy bar, okay? Yeah, give her one of those five-hour energy packets. Goodness gracious, it's crazy stuff. But camp food, it can be interesting, and this wilderness food now here is made by angels in Elijah's case. And, uh, you know, you think about this spiritual wilderness. And I think about youth camp. It is a time in the wilderness that prepares young people spiritually for the coming school year or the coming sports season or the coming social interactions that they're going to face in days ahead. And uh, all of us, we deeply need spiritual food that the wilderness provides. By the way, Don't ever view the spiritual wilderness as a place where God is trying to punish you. The spiritual wilderness is a place where God wants to renew you. 
And he wants to revitalize your relationship with him. Can I just tell you, if you've kind of gotten far away from God and maybe you feel like you're in a spiritual wilderness right now and you're saying, just like Elijah, it's enough, God. I'm done with this. Just send me home. I'm through. Can I tell you something? God misses you. He misses you. And he wants to use the wilderness to speak to you in his still small voice, just like he did to Elijah. And he gave Elijah uh, a message, and you can read about that. But, you know, the wilderness in Elijah's case was a time for him to get the food he needed for the journey ahead. That's what youth camp does, too. Now, let's go forward 900 more years to our text passage, and we're going to finish up with Jesus in the wilderness. And uh, we see Jesus in the wilderness, as we read in Matthew chapter 4, facing the enemy with power. A lot of people get the wrong idea about the temptations of Christ. And uh, I don't want you to get the wrong idea about what happened here. Jesus did not go through 40 days of fasting in the wilderness to make him weak enough to face Satan's temptations. Right? He didn't spend 40 days so that he would all of a sudden be weak and now he can be tempted. No, it's the complete opposite. Jesus went through 40 days of fasting so that he could be strong enough to face Satan's temptations. And a time in the wilderness reinforced Jesus to victoriously overcome every temptation the enemy would bring his way. Now, can I just help you, and maybe you've never thought of it this way. If Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, the sinless Son of God, the Son of God who could never sin, if he needed to spend time in the wilderness with the Father and spend time in prayer and get up before the Son ever came up and talked to God, do you think maybe we should at least make an effort to pray some? And if Jesus, who never once sinned, and who every temptation that ever came his way, he defeated it. He never one time gave in to his flesh. If he needed all of that, do you maybe guess that we possibly need our Father in heaven? And we need to talk with him, and we need to be renewed by him on a daily basis. Jesus was victorious over the enemy. Satan, the whole point of the temptation, is Satan was trying to get Jesus to meet legitimate needs by illegitimate means. And that's Satan wanted Jesus to act independent, independently from his father. And Jesus refused. He refused every time. And the Bible says in John 8 that he did always those things that please his father. And it, we read in Matthew chapter 4 that he used the power of the word of God to face the enemy. And uh, that's another thing that we have to learn in the wilderness and uh, that young people would learn at camp is to take the sword of God's word and to use it to defeat the enemy's purposes in your life. Do you know the whole armor of God thing still works? Isn't that amazing? Putting on the whole armor of God still works. And, and learning the scripture still works. And when the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God, it still works. 
When he said, your word is a, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, and I love your law. Still works. But we live in a generation today where everything is so instant, and everything is so transient, and everything is such a drive-through mentality that sometimes we do a drive-through on the word of God. Sometimes we do that instant microwaving of the word of God. And we need to spend some time in God's word. We need to spend some time knowing it and hiding it in our heart so that when temptation comes and when the wilderness comes, that we'll be able to do what Jesus did. You know what Jesus, did you realize this in Matthew chapter 4? Every time Satan spoke to him, here's what he said, verse number 4, but he answered and said, it is written. It's already been declared. It's written in God's word. Look at verse number seven. Jesus said unto him, it is written again. Look at verse number 10. For it is written. And Jesus used the power of the word of God to face the enemy with power. Don't try to go through your life and face the enemy in your own strength. Don't try to face the enemy without the whole armor of God. Don't try to face the enemy without the word of God. And, and so the wilderness is a place where God takes us to renew us, to shape us, to give us the food we need for the journey ahead, to give us the power we need for the journey ahead. And uh, I hope that you'll take the mentality that Joseph had if you're going through a trial right now, if you're going through a wilderness, if you're going through a desert in your life, get before God and say, God, I don't know what your plan is, but I'm still going to follow you. Just because I'm thrown into a pit, I'm not going to give up on your will. Just because I, I feel like I've been sold into an area where I didn't ever plan to go, I'm not going to give up on your will. And uh, we need more than ever in this generation people who will rise up and say, I'm free to follow God in spite of any circumstance in my life. And I'm not going to let the circumstances navigate my future. God has a purpose for me. And I'm going to live for him. Would you bow your heads this morning and close your eyes?